It is Friday, the 11th of August, the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi. Let's pray for her help today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for all poor Clare nuns, that they may live in joyful fidelity to the heritage of St. Clair. We pray for all members of the Catholic Worker Movement, that they bear witness to the joy of living among the poor for the sake of the gospel. We pray for all who suffer deprivation and want, that they may discover in their pain the presence of Christ crucified. We pray for all who lead a life of penance, that their purity of heart may shine as a light for all around them. Loving and merciful Father, who grant favors to all who seek you, through the intercession of the Virgin St. Clair, may we draw ever closer to you in poverty of spirit and joy of life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Clair of Assisi, pray for us. And while we're on the topic, a happy feast day to the poor Clares of Perpetual Adoration in uh, Alabama at EWTN headquarters. And uh, I sometimes refer to that as the mothership, right? Because it's where Mother Angelica uh, had her whole base of operations. Continues even in her absence. And since she's passed on to her reward, pray a special prayer for her and the repose of her soul today as well. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, uh, we get to talk more about St. Clair of Assisi. Anna Mitchell and I will uh, discuss her life and legacy. Andrew Swafford will look at the book of Joshua in our ongoing discussion of uh, the project he did with Ascension called A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. Stephanie Mann will discuss Everard Hance, one of the many martyrs, of England and Wales uh, that we've been uh, looking at in our ongoing discussions with Stephanie. And then Father Hezekiah Carnazzo will preview the Sunday Mass readings, so stay with us if you can. Right now, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Deadly wildfires continue to devastate Hawaii. Governor Josh Green said the fires in Maui have killed at least 53 people now and are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the state's history. Green said it will take many years to rebuild the town of Lahaina, which will likely cost billions of dollars. He also said thousands have been displaced and the state is hoping to get 2,000 rooms to assist those in need. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration, which opens federal funding toward local recovery efforts. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of another migrant tragedy in the Mediterranean. Vatican News reports at least 41 people died. The Holy Father took to Twitter to say, quote, let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies and let us pray for the victims and their families. Quote. The Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. 
Ryan Shook reports. Thursday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. A spokesperson for Purdue Pharma said the company is confident in the legality of its plan of reorganization and optimistic that the Supreme Court will agree. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December and likely issue a ruling early next year. I'm Brian Shook. The number of suicides in the United States is at an all-time high. According to a new report from the CDC, roughly 49,000 Americans committed suicide in 2022, nearly a 3% increase over the prior year. Over half of those suicides involved firearms. U.S. Health Secretary Javier Becerra released a statement with the report saying, quote, too many people still believe asking for help is a sign of weakness. We must continue to eliminate the stigmatization of mental health and make care available to all Americans, end quote. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. The bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia cutting cutting off the Black Sea Grain Initiative and the bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The U.S. is striking a deal with Iran to release five Americans imprisoned in the country. Trey Thomas reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says a delegation from Switzerland helped in the negotiations. The Swiss representative did have an opportunity to meet with all of them once they got out of the prison, uh, see them physically, talk to them, and that's how we know that uh, they're out and uh, that they're generally okay. The American detainees will eventually be allowed to leave Iran in exchange for several jailed Iranians and access to about $6 billion in Iranian assets blocked under U.S. sanctions. I'm Trey Thomas. And the addition of Cal and Stanford to the Atlantic Coast Conference is hitting, quote, significant roadblocks, that according to to ESPN, which reports ACC presidents met Wednesday night and will continue to, quote, wrestle with the best way to position the league in the future. Notre Dame was pushing for the addition of both universities as it has a long history with Stanford. However, the Cardinal and Golden Bears would not add significant financial value to the ACC, which is staring at a looming revenue gap with the SEC and Big Ten that could reach $30 million annually. SMU was thought to be an alternative to join the conference, but those conversations are not headed anywhere either, apparently. I don't understand any of the words that just came out of your mouth. Cal and Stanford on the Pacific Coast or near it. Yes. Considering joining the Atlantic Coast Conference. Well, I still don't understand it. All I know is that in the mix of that, you mentioned Notre Dame and SMU. Well, Notre Dame is part of the ACC in football, I well, think, right, Paul? All I could think of is the quote, oh, it might have been Eisenhower. There are so many domers that listen to this show, and I really hope I didn't just... Maybe they're well, in basketball? Well, they'll like they're this joke, though, ACC Anna Mitchell. They're part of the in some way. The domers will like this joke. And if we got Southern Methodist University people listening, maybe they'll like the joke too. But I think it was Eisenhower who said, an atheist is a person who watched Notre Dame 
play SMU and didn't care who won. <laughs> that's uh, that's your joke for the day. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I think Notre Dame football is still independent, but they're part of the ACC and other sports. I think. Paul is giving me the thumbs up on that. Paul is. I'm sorry, Domers, that I am not quite up to date. I'm an Ohio. If you State just fan hold still, everybody hold still, then we can figure <laughs> out who it. Who I know, is right? Where. Stop moving. Even I'm getting confused, and I follow college football. Okay. Today, Friday, August the 11th, the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi, also the Feast of St. Philomena. We'll talk about her next hour with Father Perrigan. Fletcher, a Norbertine. Right now, it's eight past. It's time for our weekly Old Testament Bible study here on the Sunrise Morning Show using a Catholic guide to the Old Testament from Ascension Press. You can pick up your own copy to study along with us at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. And we're here with Dr. Andrew Swafford, one of the co-authors of the guide. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Annie. Great to be with you. It is good to have you back. And today we are going to be getting a primer on the book of Joshua. So we are now out of the Pentateuch and post-Moses— and into a section of the Bible known as the historical books. Why are they known as the historical books? Well, yeah, they, so we typically think of Joshua, Judges, 1, 2, Samuel, 1, 2, Kings, uh, and First and Chronicles as historical books, because they, they kind of trace the history uh, from the time of Moses to the rise and fall of the uh, Davidic kingdom. Uh, interestingly, in the, in the Jewish tradition, these 1, 2, Samuel, Joshua, Judges, 1, 2, Kings are known as the uh, former prophets, mm-hmm. and, and the latter prophets are the ones that we know of prophets, more typically Isaiah, Ezekiel, and company. Uh, I think part of that, uh, one thing we can get from that is that these books, even though we call them historical books, they're both historical and theological. They're sort of history from kind of God's point of view. Interesting. Okay, so now we will dive into the book of Joshua. Tell us about our protagonist here and his importance in the history of Israel. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, you see the beginning of Joshua, um, it, like Joshua 3 and 4, as they cross the Jordan River, uh, it's, it, the narrative is recounted in a way that calls to mind the Red Sea crossing. So it's really kind of the completion of the Exodus. You know, God delivers Israel from Egypt, but for the Promised Land, for ultimately worship at the Temple in the Promised Land. And so you see that, that clear uh, connection. You know, the other thing that the Church Fathers notice very, you know, right away is... Uh, if you read the Greek Old Testament, the name Joshua is Jesus. It's Jesus. And so Jesus, Joshua, leads the people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, just as, think like the baptism of our Lord, you know, our risen Lord Jesus uh, leads, you know, in terms of his baptism, through the Jordan River. He's bringing about the new Exodus, not from Egypt and slavery there, but from the slavery of sin into heaven itself. Interesting. So Jesus' name is Joshua? Or Joshua's oh, ab- name is Jesus? Yeah, so in Hebrew, Yehoshua, whereas it gets kind of morphed in Aramaic, Yeshua, it's the same root, Yasha, it means to save uh, for Joshua's name and Jesus' name. And in the Greek, when you, if you're reading the Greek Old Testament, uh, it's the exact same as the name of our Lord Jesus in uh, the Gospels. And so then this book of Joshua can take on a greater meaning in not just the story of the Israelites, but in the greater story of salvation history as we get the full picture as uh, as the Great Adventure series uh, seeks to do. 
That, that's exactly right. That's so important because there's a lot of parts uh, often, especially in the book of Joshua, that can be kind of troubling, like all these battles and what's going on here. And even the great St. Augustine in his Confessions, uh, the end of Book 5, he talks about how the Old Testament was a stumbling block for him to return back to his Catholic faith. And it wasn't until St. Ambrose taught him to read the Old Testament spiritually that he really was able to come on board. And so the, the Promised Land really is a type of figure of heaven. And so the battles fought to attain the Promised Land really become images of the spiritual battles we must undergo to attain the ultimate Promised Land, heaven itself. Well, I want to get back to that point in in just a minute here. But but first of all, I think it's important for those that are not familiar with with the book of Joshua to to get a bigger picture of of what happens throughout this book. So uh, can you give us an overview of the the events that we read about in there? Yeah, so they, they enter the land, they come through the Jordan River, uh, so they're crossing into the Promised Land, that, you know, they, what's, what's going to be the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, and they're kind of preparing from chapters 1 through 5. And then 6, they, they take Jericho, and they, they take it in a unique way, right? So the, the priests are to march around the city seven times with the Ark of the Covenant, and on the seventh day the walls go down. So even in the book of Joshua itself, it's a spiritual battle. The strength is in the Lord. And when you get to the book of Revelation, for example, the seven trumpets, that calls to mind the fall of Jericho, because these seven trumpets, the trumpet blast, that brings the walls down. And so from there through chapter 11, it it really kind of uh, recounts these battles that they fight against um, the Canaanites in the land. And then as you move from 12 and 13, 13 and following, uh, 13 to 23 gives the uh, sort of tribal inheritances. So each tribe, each of the 12 tribes will have a different part of the land and then by chapter 24, uh, you know, Joshua has to plea with his people to remain faithful. As for me and my house, many of your listeners will know this, this passage, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, you know, abandon the idols. So on the one hand, you can get a kind of superficial image of Joshua, like they just kind of conquered everything instantly. But when you read closer, you realize, no, it was a slow and gradual thing. And really, they, they didn't, there was much left, and they actually weren't that successful uh, despite the beginning successes. And part of it, in the theme of Joshua, really, it's about faithfulness. It's sort of like the passage in Exodus 14.14, just this call for them to rely on the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. Their strength is in the Lord. That really is the theme of Joshua, and it kind of continues in a negative way in the next book of the book of Judges. Oh, yeah, and we've got a lot to talk about in the book of Judges the next <laughs> time we get together, Andrew. But um, Let's address this difficult issue that we that we encounter in the book of Joshua, that being that these battles, as you were mentioning, I mean, even women and children mm-hmm. are slaughtered by Joshua and his and his soldiers. So can you address that issue? Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the, the you know, hardest questions there is to address. I think maybe a couple of things can kind of just help a little bit, but but uh, you know it's it's going to be a perennial issue, and it, it's not new issue. The church fathers wrestled with this, ju- you know, just as we I just mentioned Saint Augustine. Um, so a couple things we could say: one, there is a good bit of hyperbole and war rhetoric uh, in the Book of Joshua. Sometimes it says we killed everyone, and then you see chapters like, like, oh, there's still people here. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and and there's been research done comparing Joshua to late second millennium war accounts in, in the ancient Near East. And the same kind of war rhetoric that you often hear elsewhere shows up here. So on the one hand, we, we need to kind of be, you know, not read it superficially, but realize there's a lot of hyperbole, hyperbolic rhetoric going on here. Um, two, there's a deep sense in the ancient world of kind of a corporate mentality. And you see this with Israel's story later on when they're unfaithful and God raises up Assyria. 
and Babylon to kind of bring judgment upon his own people. And, and there's a sense in the book of Joshua that here it's the reverse, that Israel's people become, Israel becomes an instrument of justice in that um, the text, I mean, again, this is not going to make it easy, but um, there's a sense in which the Canaanites weren't innocent, child sacrifice, yeah. lots of sexual deviancy. But I think the real answer that I mentioned earlier really is that the promised land becomes an earthly figure of heaven itself. Thank you so much, Dr. Andrew Swafford. We'll have to leave it there because it's 16 past and we got to hit a break. We'll be back right after this. Born from the heart of St. Daniel Comboni, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most abandoned people in the world for more than 150 years. The Combonis improve quality of life with resources like food, clean water, and medicine. They provide vital education in schools and spiritually minister through the sacraments, all while preparing local Christian leaders to serve their people, now and in the future. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And I wanted to tell you guys how great your show is because uh, I listen to you guys for every, every day for the last past five and a half months. It's because of you guys that I came to the Catholic faith. Now I'm going to church on Sunday for the first time because I just got out yesterday from jail. And I got my mom to go too. And my girlfriend is also going with me. Wow. She's willing to give the Catholic faith a try. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. 18 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Deadly wildfires continue to devastate Hawaii with now at least 53 people reported dead. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. And Pope Francis has appointed a delegate to try to resolve a liturgy dispute in the Ciro Malabar Church in India. Uh, yeah, I've been trying to read, it, read up on that, and I'm not sure I entirely understand it. I'm going to have to pay more attention to it. Yeah, it's um, um it's kind of crazy. It seems intense. Intense. That's a better word for it. Well, rather than comment on something that I'm not informed enough about to speak intelligently upon, uh, we're going to talk about St. Clair quite a bit uh, coming up after your next newscast. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some good feasts over the weekend. want to make sure, you know, August is just loaded, loaded with feasts. Yes. And uh, we got Jane de Chantal, who is tomorrow. Yep. I want to make sure that uh, the people were apprised of that because spiritual you know, she, of course, daughter of Francis de Sales. Yeah, she had the connection to a doctor of the church. But I joked about these guys 
uh, I believe it was on yesterday's show, we were talking about sensitivity training for Southwest <laughs> employees, and you mentioned back in the day that uh, your doctor or your my doctor, teacher, <laughs> my teacher, fifth grade teacher, fifth grade yeah. teacher made you sit next to your enemy, and you became good friends. Yes. Well, on Sunday, we're not going to hear their story because it's overshadowed um, by the Sunday readings. But Pontian and Hippolytus are together on Sunday, a pope and an anti-pope, who were both put into exile and sentenced to work in the mines. And in that suffering together and working together, they reconciled to one another. And now they are both saints. It's kind of incredible. So rather incredible, actually. That's Did the story you know? I thought of immediately when I heard that you got sort of, you know, stuck next to your enemy for mm -hmm. all that time. Apparently, now I don't know what this is about, but I'm looking at the calendar here, and it says that you can. There's the optional memorial of Saints Pontian and Hippolytus. Yes, listed under the Sunday go under the Sunday Gospel reading on the USCCB site. I don't know if that was – I'm not sure if that means – I can't imagine that a priest would be able to override the Sunday. I don't know. Huh, but it's there. Knows. It's 21 past. Time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. A meditation from St. Augustine's Confessions. Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you. You were within me, but I was outside, and it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. Created things kept me from you, yet if they had not been in you, they would have been not at all. You called, you shouted, and you broke through my deafness. You flashed, you shone, and you dispelled my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. I drew in breath, and now I pant for you. I have tasted you, now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Joined now by Stephanie Mann from Supremacy and Survival, the English Reformation website that she runs, which has some great resources on the English martyrs. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Matt. The martyr we're talking about today is Blessed Edvard, Everard Hans. So if you yes. could, uh, there's an extraordinary story here and uh, some sort of unique aspects of it. Uh, if you could set it up for us. 
Well, he was a he he was a, a a Protestant. He was an Anglican, and actually he was an Anglican minister. And his brother William had actually become a Catholic, and his brother returned as a priest to England and tried to bring his brother Everard into back to the Catholic faith, in which uh, you know his family had lived for centuries until uh, Elizabeth the, uh, Henry the Eighth and and all the things that happened with the English Reformation and. Everhard withstood William's attempts to evangelize until finally became very ill. And that illness, as Father Bowden says, you know, brought things into a different light. And so he did become a Catholic. And then he went immediately to Reims to study for the priesthood following his brother's footsteps and then returned to England as a missionary priest to serve the Catholics in England. He's one of those martyrs who who came and was arrested pretty quickly because he was going to the Marshalsea prison in London to visit Catholics who were imprisoned there and the jailer noticed the boots that he was wearing and that's why there's Father Bowden really emphasizes boots and throughout his title and verse that he uses he they were foreign made and so it made the jailer suspicious of him and so he brought him before a magistrate and Father Everhard Hans uh, admitted pretty quickly, yes, I'm a Catholic and yes, I'm a priest. And so then he was arrested and imprisoned. Wow. So because of the boots, uh, he was sort of getting yes. away. You know, it's interesting because, you know, there are so many uh, martyrs we've talked about before, uh, priests who were brought into captivity. And this is actually the case in a few different eras. Uh, this happened in France. Uh, this certainly happened in Mexico. I'm thinking of Blessed Miguel Pro, where— yes. I mean, these these men have to minister, and they have to come up with some sort of a disguise in order to do it. Yes, and so he probably had all the right clothing. I mean, I don't, we don't have this detail, but the boots gave him away. They just looked—they didn't look like they were made in England to the to the uh, jailer, and so he was suspicious. But the, also, the, just the fact that Father Everhard admitted so quickly. He didn't. He didn't try to obfuscate. He didn't try to avoid his imprisonment. He or being arrested for his priesthood. But at this time, it was not actually. It, this is 1581. So this is the time of of Saint Edmund Campion and his companions' great trials, and the whole. Uh, we've talked about this before. That that and people could find it on my website. That on my blog spot. That that. Uh, they had to be accused of some kind of plot. It wasn't yet treasonous just to be a Catholic priest who had returned to England. They had to find some kind of treason, some kind of plot or conspiracy. And so he wasn't lumped in with those uh, other Je the, the Jesuits and, and others in, in the Rome and Rollins plot, but he was accused. They had to find something to accuse him of so that they could sentenced him to death and so at trial they asked him questions and then interpreted them in a way that that it meant that he was committing treason so for instance they asked him at his trial uh do you still observe believe that the pope in rome has authority over you while you a catholic priest are here in england and father everhard said well of course he does he has the same spiritual power over me that he had over you before all your laws have been passed. So they interpreted that meaning, ah, so he's against Elizabeth I's supremacy, so this is treason. They asked him, well, do you want, do you believe 
do you want others to become Catholics? And he said, yes, I believe that everyone should be a Catholic like I, like I am. So they interpreted that to mean, well, then he wants to persuade people to convert to Catholicism, which was against the law. So they used the, his very answers that he gave honestly to entrap him in while, in, uh, while having him on trial for treason uh, to find him guilty and sentence him to death. You know, it's interesting as you're talking about you know the answers that he gave, which are sort of honest and straightforward answers. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. uh, in some ways, that's kind of what what makes for such such a powerful story here is that he doesn't try and dance around it. Uh, he just pretty much says it like it is. It reminds me of two different verses about feet in the Bible. Um, one is Isaiah 52, yes. since you know, of course he was arrested for his boots. You know how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Uh, you know it's. Interesting that it's um, it's in his preaching of the gospel that his his feet are what give him away. But there's another one where Paul talks in Ephesians six. Where he's talking about the armor yes. of God, and he says, uh, you know, after all the the shield of faith and the you know belt of truth and all that, he says uh, that you should have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Um, and uh, it seems to me as though. Father Hans uh, had his feet fitted in both of those senses uh, that Isaiah and Paul are talking about. Yes, and and Father Bowden picks up on that in his title because his title is Shod for the Gospel, so that he is wearing the boots that bring him to preach the gospel and also to to his martyrdom. And it, Father Father Bowden also brings up this beautiful detail. Of course, remember hanging, drawing, courting was a horrible, torturous death. And one of the things that made it so horrible was that the man was hanged until he was barely conscious. And then he was eviscerated. His chest was cut open and his heart was cut out of his, his chest. And as his heart hit the fire that they threw it in, it danced. And Father Bowden says that showed that this was part of his constancy and the Lord's delight in his constancy and his uh, fidelity. And his last words were, oh, happy day. Wow. What a testimony. Well, thanks so much, Stephanie Mann. You can find Supremacy and Survival, her blog, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The wildfires in Hawaii are continuing to take a terrible toll on the island of Maui. Governor Josh Green said the fires are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the history of the state, with 53 people confirmed dead so far. Progress is being made, but none of the fires is 100 percent contained. Green said it will likely take many years to rebuild the West Maui town of Lahaina, which will likely cost billions of dollars. The exact number of those killed and missing will not be known for days. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration, opening federal funding towards state and local recovery efforts. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of another migrant tragedy on the Mediterranean. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. With sorrow, I heard about the news of the shipwreck involving migrants in the Mediterranean Sea. Let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies, Pope Francis tweeted on his at Pontifex account, and let us pray for the victims and their families. 
According to Italian authorities, more than 90,000 people have reached Italy this year after crossing the Mediterranean Sea. That's more than double the number compared to the same time period last year. They are fleeing conflicts in countries like Sudan, South Sudan and Ethiopia, insecurity in the Sahel regions and beyond. Drought and famine in the Horn of Africa, the climate crisis throughout the African continent that has devastated crops, herds and livelihoods. The route is also used by refugees fleeing persecution and violence in Afghanistan, in Syria and in other Middle Eastern and Asian nations. The International Organization for Migration reports that the Mediterranean crossing is one of the most dangerous migrant routes in the world. It estimates that almost 28,000 people have gone missing at sea since 2014. Pope Francis, who has described the Mediterranean as Europe's largest cemetery, has repeatedly appealed to leaders and policymakers to protect the lives and dignity of our brothers and sisters on the move. He is scheduled to travel to the French port city of Marseille on the 22nd and 23rd of September as part of an initiative to foster dialogue between Mediterranean, political and religious leaders of different faiths and address the region's shared problems posed by increasing migration patterns, economic inequality, climate issues, interreligious dialogue. I'm Linda Bodoni. The Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. Yesterday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December and likely issue a ruling early next year. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to go to those in need. The bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative and their bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The statement from Bishop David Malloy quotes Pope Francis, who said, quote, I make a heartfelt appeal that every effort be made to resolve the issue and to guarantee the universal right to food. Please do not use wheat, a staple food, as a weapon of war, end quote. Meanwhile, President Biden is calling on Congress for $24 billion for Ukraine. Brian Shook reports. But some congressional Republicans have been hesitant about putting any more money toward Ukraine's efforts as the war continues with no signs of stopping soon. The Republicans say more oversight is needed to see exactly where the $45 billion already sent to Ukraine went. A CNN poll released last week found 55 percent of Americans believed Congress should not authorize additional funding. I'm Brian Shook. Just days after departing the city, Pope Francis has appointed a new patriarch of Lisbon. The Holy See yesterday announced Bishop Rui Sousa Valero will succeed the retiring Cardinal Manuel Clement, who turned 75 last month, just a couple of weeks before welcoming the Pope and tens of thousands of pilgrims for World Youth Day. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past the hour. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. 
If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. Love is the life of our heart. All our affections follow our love. According to it, we desire, rejoice, hope, despair, take heart, hate, feel sadness or aversion, grow angry, and exult. We see how men who have given their hearts as prey to a base, ignoble love of women desire only what goes with such love. Hence, when divine love reigns in our hearts, like a king it brings into subjection all other loves possessed by the will. It is the saving water of which our Lord has said, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never be thirsty. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. A uh, brief programming note. I hope you have a chance to catch not just the Sunrise Morning Show, but other programs that occur here on uh, the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And uh, if you're listening today throughout the course of the day, of course, you've got lots of great opportunities to catch stuff like Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, Dr. Zinn at 1 p.m. with uh, Dr. Ray Grindy, that's 1 p.m. Eastern. A personal favorite of mine, called to communion with Dr. David Anders. Yeah. Tom Price on the line at 2. Uh, but if you call in at 3 today, 3 Eastern, uh, you can actually uh, do open line questions with a person who was recently appointed by Pope Francis to the Marian Pontifical Academy. Look at that. Because Colin Donovan, who does open line fries, I just saw this piece on Catholic News Agency. Congratulations, Colin. Uh, Colin, Super who's cool. uh, VP of Theology at EWTN, he is now part of the Pontifical International Marian Academy as appointed by the Pope himself. So there you go. That's unreal. Well done, Colin. Well deserved. There's a picture of him on the uh, Catholic News Agency article holding the uh, holding the, holding the letter yeah, yeah. and the certificate. I mean, that'd be on my wall. Yes. I would. Uh, I don't know that I would put that in the tub and put it in the garage. You my know what's goodness. on my wall? Well, it's not really on my wall. It's kind of leaning up against it. Is the <laughs> the decree becoming um what is the do you remember the order of Alhambra, your friends? Oh yes, were, of course. What is it that I'm called? Um, uh, I think a you're sultana. sultana. Yeah. I think you're sultana. Yeah, my sultana decree. I am uh, I'm very bad at being part of the international order of Alhambra. I'm Can very I, lapsed. I kind of hey Paul. Will you go get it off of the bookshelf by my production room? 
I Paul's want to, gonna go get it. So he's so gonna go read get it. it so that I you know can I had <laughs> I had a listener ask me recently about the Templars and uh, you know of course you'll hear uh, segments sometimes uh, spots especially during Ave Maria radio programs from the Order of Malta. Yes, uh, you and I both know Knights of the Holy Sepulchre. I'm really bad. Uh, and actually, I forgot to mention, uh, also on Sunday, it's not uh, on the calendar either because of the Sunday readings, uh, but because I, um, it falls immediately between his birth date and his death date, uh, the 13th of August is also the memorial of Blessed Michael McGivney, founder ah, of the Knights yes. of Columbus. Um, but I am terrible at joining these like equestrian orders and like lay things mm-hmm. that have like knights and stuff in the title or like I order think Paul of is X struggling thing. finding where I have this. international order of X. Yeah. I'm terrible about such things. And so I answer sometimes questions about like what do you do? Is it cool to be part of this? I'm like, you'll have to ask me when I don't have children in the house and when I have more expendable income and time on my hands <laughs> because <laughs> and until I reach a different stage of life, I'm probably not going to be very useful to any of those orders. I know, right? So, at any rate. Sorry, Paul was, I was He's muting looking for my your certificate mic of because sultana-ness. he cannot find my certificate of sultananess. Sultanitude. <laughs> it comes with no um, obligations that I am aware of. But... It's just saying that you're like a uh, Catholic woman of good Yes, Paul. He found stand. it. He found it. Thank you, Paul. By the way, when I was in the International Order of Alhambra, when I was uh, actually more active in it, briefly, which Alhambra is, um, it's it's an order, among other things, to lay, well, there were priests involved too, but um, we worked to kind of do some inclusive things for people with intellectual disabilities and that sort of stuff. It was was pretty cool. Pretty cool group. I wish I had time to be more involved in it. This is what it says. Well, in part. Along this mighty Potomac and its many various tributaries and distributaries has met while duly constituted and with quorum of eminent officers and decreed from the Alcazar upon the petition of her friend, Sir Noble Matthew Swaim, and in recognition of the friendship shown to our mighty caravan over its many years by the most gracious and serene Catholic lady, Miss Anna Mitchell, Didst while there and then sitting, didst motion, vote and ratify, and thus has conferred upon her the title of Sultana, with all honors, dishonors, rights, and privileges pertaining thereto. May God command the angels to forever guard her in all her ways. Let it also be known that this divan also decrees that henceforth her spoken name shall be likened to a spreading perfume, that her dignity be nothing less than a true pearl, that her faith be the very pole star of the north, that her joy be a stringed instrument of heaven, and as such, she shall be a most fragrant and beautiful flower of the desert. It goes on from there. So in the picture here in the Catholic News Agency article, it's kind of small and I can't read it, but I'm pretty sure the thing that Colin Donovan got says something different than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. Well, congratulations to Colin. Yes, absolutely. I didn't... And uh, a happy impending I'm sorry that I turned day. it toward myself. But That's okay. That's okay. I just, it made uh, me think of it. But I want to I want to shout out all the knights. Some of them are doing pancake breakfast this weekend. I don't know if they're doing any kind of special pancakes. Extra blueberries, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the pancakes, if you're doing the pancake breakfast on Sunday with the knights. 
I know the Knights of Columbus at our parish uh, tend to run donuts. Maybe uh, maybe get a few extra jelly filled and throw them in the mix uh, in honor of the uh, well. So Pope Francis beatified um, Blessed Michael McGivney, and I believe it was 2020, mm-hmm. uh, and big party for the Knights of Columbus. But because of the way that things fall, um, so I want to make sure that I get it get it correct. So it's the 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 feast day is the 13th. He was born on August 12th, 1852. He died on August 14th, 1890. Wow. The day in the middle of that on the calendar is the 13th of August. So mm-hmm. there you go. Well, there you have so it. So that's his feast day. If you're wondering why he's not his feast is not either on his birthday or on his death day. Well, August 14th, he would be, you know, up against, so to speak, Maximilian Kolbe. Well, nobody wants that. Now he's just up against a pope and an anti-pope, both <laughs> reconciled in the mines during exile. It's and hard to be martyrs. a saint in August. I was thinking about this because today— It's hard to be being, a saint any day of the calendar year. Today being the feast of St. Clair and also St. Philomena— that's right. We're going to talk more about her next hour. Yeah, exactly. And I was I was kind of caught off guard because there's this new children's book on St. Philomena. That's who we're going to be talking to the author, Father Peregrine Fletcher. And um, I just I don't even know why I looked below the name Claire of Assisi on August 11th and happened to notice that Philomena was listed there. Um but she has an incredible story, St. Philomena, and I don't know about you, Matt, but a uh, resurgence of the name Philomena. I know quite a few people who have named a child Philomena I know in a lot of Philomenas years. under the I know age a lot of, of Claire's as well, actually. Under the age of 12. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you get a chance, you should go look at all the people who are on a particular day. I'm looking on the calendar today, and there's a uh, there's a third century... A uh, Greek saint who was martyred in the persecutions of Diocletian. His name, Anna Mitchell, St. Alexander the Charcoal Burner. Ooh. I mean, this is what you're missing out on if you don't pay attention to the church calendar and d- go to that next level, the next yep. level, past the main feast day. Mm-hmm. St. Alexander the Charcoal Burner. Chromatius the Prefect. Chromatius is a great name. Don't know many kids naming their kids. No, no many kids named Chromatius, but mm-hmm. we ought to. Rufinus to of Assisi. Okay. Another Assisi saint on the calendar today. He built the first church in... Holy mackerel. But I'm going to read now about Blessed Maurice Tournay, who's on the calendar today, uh, who was a Swiss missionary to Tibet, shot by Tibetan guards um, while preaching the gospel. There's some incredible saints on the calendar, like literally every day. Saint Susanna of Rome. Killed under Diocletian. Wow. There you go. Dig into the calendar. Find cool things. Meet cool people. Pray for their intercession. We're back right after this. It's 14 till. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show 
where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. St. Augustine gives us tremendous insight as to why we should pray. He says this, Why God should ask us to pray when He knows what we need even before we ask Him may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for as God, He cannot fail to already know it. But rather, He wants us to exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what He is preparing to give us. How do you feel about self-driving cars? You can tell us your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Hezekiah Carnazzo from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Annie. It's such a blessing to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, and it's great to have you back. And so looking at the readings for Mass this upcoming Sunday, the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and the Gospel for this weekend is from Matthew chapter 14, um, the story of Jesus walking on the water. But it starts off saying, after he had fed the people, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and proceed him to the other sides. Then he goes up on a mountain to pray by himself and then comes to them walking on the water. It appears that the Sea of Galilee is in great turmoil. So I have a lot of questions about this. Why did he tell them to get on a boat and proceed him to the other side? Why is he going up on the mountain by himself to pray? And then why does he come to them walking on water? Yeah, Annie, your questions are great because they're asking questions of Jesus. And this is what we got to do when we do Bible study. You got to say, why? And asking questions of why of, of things that don't seem to be all that important is super important. He, he tells the disciples to get into the boat, if you know the, the context of the story, because the, um, the Herodians, the, the, the servants, the soldiers of, of Herod, are waiting to arrest him. He's gotten himself at this point in the gospel in a whole bunch of trouble. And he, he, because he's, he's doing things which prove that he is the Messiah, the King. And, of course, Herod doesn't want that. This is the son, by the way, of Herod the Great, uh, who divided his kingdom among his sons. And the Sea of Galilee is split in two, right down the middle by the line of the Jordan River. On one side, Herod's son, Herod, and on the other side, Philip, okay, whose wife Herod stole. You know the story mm -hmm. with John the Baptist, okay? Yep. So there's two political vine uh, powers up in Galilee, two brothers, and Jesus continually goes to the other side, that's the other side of the line, the other side of the Jordan River, across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. When he starts to get himself in trouble, he gets himself in trouble with the multiple angel loads of fish because he's got 
how many people are there? 5,000 men. That doesn't count the women and children. So I got at least 15,000, maybe 20,000 people yeah. gathered together, and they're all chanting that he is the Christ. He's the one that's, that's fed them. He's the one that's going to save, save the Jews. It's, and so Herod's got to put this guy down. He has to. So he, as soon as he does the miracle, and the people are saying, yeah, he's the Messiah, the soldiers who are behind the scene are looking to arrest him. So he says, get out of Dodge. Get out of here. He puts him on the boat and says, go to the other side. That's to Philip's territory. Okay? Then he himself goes up to the mountain to pray in his lonely place. There's a cave right there on the side of the Sea of Galilee where this miracle took place. Many of the tourists don't realize it, but there's the cave is right there. It goes up, and Jesus sits inside this cave overlooking the Sea of Galilee. He's sitting on a throne. It's amazing. Mm. And, and he, could, he could see the this, this storm coming, because during that time of the year, storms would come from the east, rolling across the Sea of Galilee. He saw this storm coming. He knew what was taking place, and there... He sees the apostles get themselves into trouble. That's absolutely fascinating and actually kind of links us then to the the story in the first reading from Kings 19. I mean, we're, we're seeing Elijah told to come out of the cave and look for the Lord passing by. Yeah, the, you know, the church places before us a beautiful theme of prayer that's symbolized by the cave, but then... The, the presence of the Lord in the midst of the problems going on, you have to realize that the, the storm going on around Elijah, the storm going on around, around Jesus, isn't just the wind. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it's a political storm because Elijah in this Old Testament reading is being hunted by Je- the evil queen Jezebel, and he's, he's going to be killed. They're going to look to kill him, just like they're going to look to kill Jesus. It's the same story. But notice the presence of the Lord in the midst of the strife, and coming to us not as we normally expect. Yeah, we want, oh, we want God to come and shoot lightning down and appear in all of his word. But this is not the way the Lord works. It's a, quite a tiny whispering sound he appears. We have to become people who listen again, people of prayer, people who are found in the cave, who are uh, uh, looking for the Lord. Now, he's not going to come crashing into our life like that, but he's all around us, constantly protecting us, constantly guiding us, always there in the midst of this, of the struggle and the strife of our life. Andy, can I share with you a beautiful quotation from St. Augustine on this, on this beautiful passage in the Gospel? Oh, please do. Okay, here's what he says. The boat carrying the disciples, that is the Church, is rocking and shaking amidst the storms of temptation, while the adverse wind rages on. That is to say, its enemy, the devil, strives to keep the wind from calming down. But greater is he who, per- who is persistent on our behalf amid the vicissitudes of our life. He gives us confidence. He comes to us and strengthens us, so we are not jostled in the boat and tossed overboard. And this, isn't this, isn't this a, a, today yes. a, such an applicable text, the gospel and, and, and image? The church is being, being, being thrashed about by all of the, the problems that are taking place, being attacked, and we ourselves feel like we're going to be tossed overboard. But we have to stay safely in the boat. We have to be protected by the gift that Jesus gives us, and he's present. That's the other thing. He's present in all of this. He's He's here to protect us and guide us. If only we would trust in him. If only we would reach out and take hold of his hand. And amidst all of this craziness going on in our world, and all of the attacks, and all of the temptations, it looks like our church is being torn apart. The Lord is present, just like he was in the life of Elijah, just as, he, as, as, as Jesus was present in the life of the disciples. Oftentimes difficult to perceive. Calm down. Look around. 
see the, the fingerprint of the Lord, the presence of God in our life. Mm-hmm. He's right. here, and he'll guide the church. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, looking at that reading in, in Kings, you know, all of these things are happening around Elijah, and he knows that the Lord was not in them. But it says, after the fire, there was a tiny whispering sound. And, you know, Father, so many times in, in times of turmoil, like we find ourselves in today, as in any time, really, in, in history, we look around and we say, where is the Lord in this? Well, we've got to be attuned to hear that tiny whispering sound amid all of the noise around us. Absolutely. If you look at the epistles, the same story. St. Paul's dealing with all the, the political storm, the fallout from his conversion to Christ around him. It's, all, it's, there, it's, it's been the same from the beginning of the world. The Lord's present. And look at the trick of the devil. To get our lives so busy, to be so constantly on the cell phone, constantly on the computer, constantly with the phone calls, constant, constant, constant to distract us. We're going to stop and smell the roses. I'm serious about that. In the coming week, stop and smell a rose. Because we keep walking past all of the, all of the beautiful miracles the Lord places in our life and become people that see again and hear again. We've been talking to Father Hezekiah Carnazzo. And Father, if listeners want to connect with you and check out the resources at the Institute, how do they find them? Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. Come check us out. And you can find instituteofcatholicculture.org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Registration open there for a 10-week course with Dr. John Cutteback on the Cardinal Virtues. That'll be starting in September on Monday. Father Hezekiah's brother, Father Sebastian, is going to be going at Messianic Judaism. Should be pretty interesting. Instituteofcatholicculture.org. We got another hour coming up for most of our affiliates here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's a new day. Hear his word. Let us pray. Continue on this Friday, the 11th of August, the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi, by praying the Collect Prayer for the day in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O God, who in your mercy led St. Clair to a love of poverty, grant through her intercession that following Christ in poverty of spirit, we may merit to contemplate you one day in the heavenly kingdom. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Clair of Assisi, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are happy to have you along on a Friday morning as we wind down the work week. Many of us do, and as some of you are getting ready to start school, I mean like real soon. Well, we are glad to be part of your preparation for that. And don't forget, when school does start, uh, you've got something to listen to on the way in the Sunrise Morning Show. Of this hour, I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news, Paul Lockman at the controls, and... We will be talking 
to Father Peregrine Fletcher, who is going to talk about St. Philomena on this, her feast day. She's on the calendar along with St. Clair. Father Robert Nixon will discuss the emerald as a jewel that reflects the virtues of Mary. We'll catch up with Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network. Also preview the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan. So please do stay with us if you can. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The wildfires in Hawaii are continuing to take a toll on the island of Maui. Governor Josh Green said the fires are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the history of the state, with 55 people confirmed dead so far. Progress is being made, but none of the fires is 100 percent contained. Governor Green said it will take many years to rebuild the West Maui town of Lahaina, which will likely cost billions of dollars. The exact number of those killed and missing may not be known for days. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration, opening up federal funding towards state and local recovery efforts. Green says thousands of people will need housing, and the state is hoping to get 2,000 rooms to assist those in need. An historic Catholic church has been destroyed in the wildfires. The Maria Lanaquila Catholic Church, which was established in 1846, the fire has also destroyed a 200-year-old church from the United Church of Christ. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of yet another migrant tragedy on the Mediterranean. Vatican News reports at least 41 people died. The Holy Father took to Twitter saying, quote, let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies and let us pray for the victims and their families. The Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. Brian Shook reports. Thursday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid epidemic. A spokesperson for Purdue Pharma said the company is confident in the legality of its plan of reorganization and optimistic that the Supreme Court will agree. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December and likely issue a ruling early next year. I'm Brian Shook. The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. The bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative and their bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The U.S. is striking a deal with Iran to release five Americans imprisoned in the country. Trey Thomas reports. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby says a delegation from Switzerland helped in the negotiations. The Swiss representative did have an opportunity to meet with all of them once they got out of the prison, uh, see them physically, talk to them, and that's how we know that uh, they're out and uh, that they're generally okay. The American detainees will eventually be allowed to leave Iran in exchange for several jailed Iranians and access to about $6 billion in Iranian assets blocked under U.S. sanctions. I'm Trey Thomas. The Justice Department is proposing a January start date for the trial in former President Trump's alleged election interference case. 
In a court brief filed yesterday, special counsel Jack Smith proposed that the trial begin on January 2nd. Prosecutors also estimate the trial will take four to six weeks. Trump is facing four federal charges in connection to alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election. The defense will also submit a proposed start date with the judge determining the calendar for the trial. And Pope Francis has appointed a delegate to try to resolve a liturgy dispute in the Syro-Malabar Church in India. The Catholic News Agency reports the debate is over which direction a priest should face when celebrating the liturgy and has led to hunger strikes and burning effigies of bishops. Pope Francis has intervened directly several times to try to resolve the conflict. Matt, you got nothing? I got nothing. Oh, there you are. I don't think Paul turned on your mic. Did you have something to say? I did not have something to say. I was actually working on something else. Oh, okay. I'm sure it was a very, very, very good thing that you were going to discuss, but I was looking ahead to the readings from Mass on Sunday. Oh, I know. Well, talk about like Jesus walking on the water in the midst of a storm. Yes, and sending the apostles on ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And catching up with him on the water. Okay. Well, keep reading up. It's an I was important... just thinking about what I was going to say later, and I wasn't thinking about what I was going to say right now. Well, given that did we I are miss not— a, Did I miss a good pun opportunity? No, no. The Ciro Malabar controversy? Oh, that. Yeah, I also—I don't have anything intelligent to say about that. Yeah. I told you, I got, I got a lot more research to do on that one. I know, right? It's crazy. Anyway— Today is Friday, August the 11th. It's the Feast of St. Clara of Assisi, also the Feast of St. Philomena. With that in mind, Father Peregrine Fletcher is joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's author and illustrator of the new children's book, My Name is Philomena. Good morning, Father. Good morning. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you so much for joining us. So St. Philomena is a saint who I think kind of gets overshadowed by St. Clair, given that they share this August 11th feast day. Um, Can you just give us a little bit of an overview of the life of St. Philomena? Absolutely. I mean, she is an amazing uh, saint who is an ancient virgin martyr from uh, the the, the early church, third century. And um, she was... uh, a young girl, uh, 13 years old, when she was martyred, and uh, she was martyred under the reign of the Emperor Diocletian in the Roman Empire. She herself lived in Greece, and uh, what we know of her life, the, the, the few details through uh, the historical discovery of her tomb and her relics with her name and the private revelations which came later on in history and which uh, the Church has allowed to be, to be told, um, the, the few details that we know is that she was a young Greek uh, princess who, uh, was, whose family was seeking protection from the Roman Empire during a time of war, and uh, Diocletian, as uh, happened on a number of occasions, fell in love with her and demanded her hand in marriage, and when she refused countless times, each time um, met, uh, St. Philomena met with great torture uh, and punishment, um, and she was an extremely brave saint who overcame each each attempt uh, to torture her. Uh, and a- after a number of um, awful 
awful things she endured. She was eventually martyred, and um, so that's her, her story, but she's a saint of great courage and great perseverance and an example of uh, chastity, and uh, in this way, I think she's so much the perfect thing for us to look to uh, in today's uh, day and age, although she lived so long ago. Absolutely. You know, I was going to ask what about her story first captured you, that she thought she would be a good saint for children to know better. Right, and it's an interesting question, and it was something, it was a challenge uh, writing this book because, and especially illustrating this book, because obviously we want to introduce children to the reality of martyrdom, but we need to do that with great sensitivity and gentleness. But, you know, we show our, our children from an early age an image of the crucifix and what our Lord and Savior uh, did for us in dying on the cross and himself you know, being killed and, and, and laying down his life for love of us. And the saints get the opportunity to do that. Uh, and sometimes that's through uh, this red martyrdom, and sometimes it's through the more white martyrdom of our daily life and sacrifices. But St. Philomena really struck me. When I, when I entered St. Michael's Abbey as a seminarian, there was a huge devotion uh, to St. Philomena among the seminarians, and I didn't know anything about her. It was 10 years ago. And so I started learning about her, and the more that I learned... Uh, the more I realized, gosh, she's the perfect saint for today's culture. Uh, and then not only the more that I learned, the more that I prayed to her and spent time with her like we do with the saints. I fostered this relationship with uh, with this great saint, and I really had the sense that she was looking out for me and for my community, uh, uh, and uh, I really um, thought her story needs to be told. I agree. So... Why did you choose to write this book in the first person as if she's telling the story rather than just giving us a story mm -hmm. about her from an outside perspective? Wow, that's a really good question. And I thought that it was so important to me that it was written in the first person. And a part of me thinks if I ever <laughs> write again, I think we should, I just love reading about saints as though from this uh, first-person perspective, as though they were speaking to you, because uh, it's really important that this is a, that, that our uh, relationship with the saints involves conversation. It's not just learning about them, but talking to them. Uh, so I wanted it to be as though someone would open the book and be talking about her life to Saint Philomena herself. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I might suggest you write about some of the other virgin martyrs um, mm. who are so needed in this time, not to give you any more jobs, <laughs> Father. That's a but... great idea. We need them. We need well, them. Yeah. And... I yes. think so. I mean, I was going to say, um, I know quite a few little girls named Philomena. I myself have an Agnes and know that that name has, has been gaining a lot of uh, traction uh, for for young girls these days, I do think that there is a, a hunger for the stories of the Virgin Martyrs. I think so too, and it uh, to me, it's just uh, hearing that, hearing you know about you know all these uh, little girls named after uh, Virgin Martyrs. It shows me what I'm so convinced of is that there's uh, there's not a separation from these saints. They, they lived so long ago but their stories are so incredibly, incredibly relevant today. Um, we are separated by way of a timeline, but not by way of grace. It's something I've been uh, telling people when I'm sharing the story of St. Philomena, that, that in, in the eyes of uh, God, you know, a thousand years are, are as yesterday, just as like a one day in your, your, your sight. So um, it, it's almost as though they just lived in the eyes of God just yesterday, uh, so their, their their lives are important and relevant, and we can learn so much about them. So we need to tell their stories. 
and we need the, the children, even the difficult, you know, circumstances they lived in, it's good for us to sensitively and gently tell our uh, children these, these stories. For sure. So you wrote this book. You also illustrated it. So what was it like to put yourself into the, the heart, mind, and soul of Philomena? Yeah. Wow. You're asking the right questions. That was a, It was the most beautiful thing in, in a way about this whole project was actually just sitting down with St. Philomena and trying to understand her sufferings and depict her sufferings uh, in, the, in the way that I could. And I love to illustrate. I've always loved to, to draw. And so um, it, it was so beautiful. It took me forever to write this book, about 10 years, because I'm not an author or illustrator primarily. You know, my first job is to be a priest and uh, a religious. And so whenever the bell rings at the Abbey, I have to put down my work and go to prayers, which is very frequently. So, <laughs> But I was able really to uh, I, I get to know her, and it was a beautiful experience. It took 10 years to write, but it, I just realized over these 10 years, I got to spend some really great quality time with her, and uh, learn about her sufferings, and actually follow her example, because I had been I had her on my mind for 10 years. Hmm. Well, Father, I'll look forward in 10 years to a book on maybe St. Agnes or St. Lucy or, or Agatha. Um, <laughs> maybe over the course of the next 50, we'll have you on a few times to talk about Awesome. <laughs> well, I very much look forward to that. Thank you for the warm welcome. It was great to be here. It was really great to have you, Father, and we'd love to have you back. We've been talking to Father Peregrine Fletcher, and the book is called My Name is Philomena. It's a children's picture book that was illustrated and written by Father Peregrine. Quite beautiful from Tan Books, and you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you. You too, Father. Thanks. All right. It's a quarter past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I feel that God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love. 
EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The wildfires in Hawaii are continuing to take a toll on the island of Maui with 55 people confirmed dead so far. An historic Catholic church is among the structures that have been destroyed in the Hawaii wildfires. And the Supreme Court is blocking opioid maker Purdue Pharma from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell just posted a video this morning over at the uh, Coming Home Network Mm -hmm. uh, that I hope is helpful to um, actually to converts and to cradle Catholics. Uh, Sam Guzman from the Catholic Gentleman shared some of his his rookie mistakes that he made as a brand new convert. Rookie mistakes, huh? If you don't know Sam's story, uh, he grew up kind of in a fundamentalist Baptist world and went on to Bob Jones University. Um, He actually converted largely by working at the art gallery at Bob Jones University. Really? (laughs) Which is its own interesting story. Uh, But when he became Catholic, he kind of approached it um, the way he had sort of approached his fundamentalist faith. So uh, those of us who come from evangelical Protestant backgrounds, uh, when we become Catholic very often— uh, we want to do exactly what we've done our whole Christian lives, which is go and tell everybody about this thing we just found. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes we've let our zeal run ahead of our prudence and strain uh, some relationships that we wish we had uh, not strained. Maybe kind of maybe slow walked prioritized the uh, the role of knowledge mm. of tidbits about the faith uh, rather than the actual figuring out how to yeah. live in the world of the sacraments. Um, right. Some some people I know have gotten burned out. But uh, Sam kind of shares a little bit of his experience with that and uh, has some advice for for people who are recently Catholic um, who may have come in this past Easter, Pentecost, or any time during the summer to not fall into some of those traps. And you know what? Cradle Catholics have a role to play here, Anna Mitchell. Yeah. Because sometimes we grab somebody who's new, and because they were a zealous evangelical they're a zealous catholic when you put them in front of stuff way too fast mm-hmm. and set them up well that's like a big thing for you right you're you you gotta let them you know have their first fall during lent before you gotta be, uh, you gotta fail at lent at least once before you're allowed to come on the journey home. before you're on the journey home <laughs> a lot of people are like i heard this person's entering rcia should you get them on the journey home i'm like let's let them settle it let them settle. Let them get used to being Catholic. That first couple years, you don't even know why you became Catholic. You think you know. But you don't even know. You don't even know. I thought I was Catholic because the Catholic Church was right about everything, but really that was kind of a prideful idea. I even though like, I is, approve of but... all the Catholic Church's answers was what I was really saying. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, I realize now what I needed was a stable stream of grace in my life. Amen. So there you have it. And back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. An act of love. Lord, teach me to love you as you deserve. Teach me to love you above all else. You created me to glorify you, and I glorify you by reflecting your image and likeness ever more fully. I glorify you not by my own might and striving apart from you, but by my humility, by my receptivity to your light, and by my response to your love. I love you because you are entirely good. It is you who enkindle my soul, who stir my will into act by giving me your own spirit of love. I want nothing but you, no love but yours to reign in my heart. Be my supreme love, my very love, that I may live in you and you in me. Nothing but you, Lord. I want to be filled with you, to see you, to taste and to know and delight in you alone. Not for my pleasure, but for your glory, now and forever. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Father Robert Nixon is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He's a Benedictine monk at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection series. We've been going through The Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Eddie. How are you? I am doing great and uh, happy to have you here on the show today. You know, we're continuing to reflect on these various stars and flowers and gems that St. Ildefonsus places in the crown of the Virgin. And today we're going to be talking about the emerald, which takes the 15th place. Can you tell us about the emerald and what qualities this gem would have had in the yeah. eyes of St. Ildefonsus? Yeah, so so the emerald was, um, even in the Middle Ages and antiquity, one of the most precious and rare gemstones, which it still is today, of course. Um, and its other quality, which he focuses on, is its green coloration, which, um, of course, is a symbol of, of neutrality and also a property which it was believed to have of, of bringing soothing to anyone who looked at it. So that if you looked into an emerald, it would give you this feeling of calmness and, and soothing, which, which I suppose is actually true in a way. I, I haven't actually tried it myself, but I, you know, thinking about the, uh, the, the rich green color and um, the effect of that color on the mind, because all colors do have their psychological uh, and spiritual effect. Yes, I, I, um, he focuses on this as this gemstone being able to convey a soothing to whatever soul uh, contemplates it. Oh, that's so interesting because I was wondering why this yeah. chapter was, was, he starts off with sort of this nautical imagery and that makes a whole lot more sense when you yeah. think about stormy seas. He, he does indeed, you know, and this image we've talked about uh, a little earlier of representing Mary as the star of the sea and the image of our mortal life being like um, taking a voyage on the ocean uh, is so true. And because uh, so many times we feel as if we've either lost our way or we're surrounded by turbulent waves and, and darkness and so forth. And he begins with that. 
he says, amidst the turbulent waves of this life, you, O Mary, are my secure harbour. Amid the shipwrecks of this world, you are the safe harbour to which I flee. You are my help in adversities, my guide in perplexity, my secret joy in times of trial, and my refreshment in labour. And, and these words, I think, uh, you know, ring so true to so many Catholics who are devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary, certainly to myself, when we, when we feel that the world is too much for us, that the waves of the world are assaulting us in every direction, then we just need to turn to her to find this uh, great illumination and comfort. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was reflecting as I read the prayer at the end of this chapter that this this prayer could have been very easily written today. Indeed, it could, you know, and um, it expresses so many of the things that really don't change about human life. I guess pretty much since the fall of Adam and Eve, it's always been a time of stress and and trial and people needing this refreshment, this soothing to uh, to make them go forward on this pilgrimage, which God is leading them on. Yeah. Can you talk about, I mean, it's so funny because when I was reading this prayer, I mean, obviously some some great truths that are ever ancient, ever new in terms of, of the sin of this world. But one thing that comes out in his reflection here is that I myself am a sinner. And so I need her aid in in recognizing my own sinfulness and calming the sinfulness out of my life, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's very true, you know, because so many of the anxieties and troubles in their life are, um, I mean, some of them are the result of external things, but a lot of them are actually the result of, of uh, sinfulness, or at least a a tendency to sin which lurks within us. So this internal purification. But he also identifies, I think, very wonderfully uh, some of the things going on in the world in his time. And he says, piety and mercy have become rare and worldliness has infected even those who profess to be religious. Fraud and deception abound and the church has become the target of assaults and insults. And, you know, that, that is so true in our modern Western society. Uh, I don't know how it is in the United States, but certainly in Australia. <laughs> Probably church, worse. You know, we get, we get a, lot of, uh, a lot of bad press where, where, you know, what we do or what we believe is hardly ever represented in a fair way. And certainly. See, O oh most merciful mother, how many are the miseries into which human nature has fallen? How great are the adversities faced by your sons, holy Catholic Church, and how faithless our world has become. Gentle Mother, may your tender mercy condole us in our misery. May you serve as an advocate for us on the day of judgment, averting the justified indignation of the Eternal Father. May the impieties of our world be subdued and peace be restored. May religious life flourish with new vigor and faith, be restored to the hearts of humanity that we may give more fitting praise and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Of course, we always pray for the flourishing of religious life and know that uh, you, yourself, Father, are uh, part of that flourishing that we see here in the church, and we're so grateful for your contributions here to the Sunrise Morning Show, particularly as we've been going through this book. 
Crown of the Virgin by St. Ildefonsus of Toledo. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father Robert Nixon, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you, Annie, and God bless all your listeners today. Thank you, Father. You as well. And of course, you can find all of our guests that you hear on a daily basis linked in our show notes at sonrisemorningshow.com. Be sure to uh, click on the subscribe button so you can get all the info linked in your inbox. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The wildfires in Hawaii are continuing to take a devastating toll on the island of Maui. Josh Green, the governor, said the fires are likely to be the largest natural disaster in the history of the state. 55 people confirmed dead so far. Progress is being made, but none of the fires is 100 percent contained. President Biden has approved the state's disaster declaration opening federal funding towards state and local recovery efforts. An historic Catholic church has been destroyed in the wildfires. The Maria Lanaquila Catholic Church, which was established in 1846. The fire has also destroyed a church from the United Church of Christ, which just celebrated its 200th anniversary. Pope Francis is urging the global community to resist indifference in the wake of another migrant tragedy in the Mediterranean. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. With sorrow, I heard about the news of the shipwreck involving migrants in the Mediterranean Sea. Let us not remain indifferent to these tragedies, Pope Francis tweeted on his At Pontifex account, and let us pray for the victims and their families. According to Italian authorities, more than 90,000 people have reached Italy this year after crossing the Mediterranean Sea. That's more than double the number compared to the same time period last year. They are fleeing conflicts in countries like Sudan, South Sudan and Ethiopia, insecurity in the Sahel regions and beyond. Drought and famine in the Horn of Africa, the climate crisis throughout the African continent that has devastated crops, herds and livelihoods. The route is also used by refugees fleeing persecution and violence in Afghanistan, in Syria and in other Middle Eastern and Asian nations. The International Organization for Migration reports that the Mediterranean crossing is one of the most dangerous migrant routes in the world. It estimates that almost 28,000 people have gone missing at sea since 2014. Pope Francis, who has described the Mediterranean as Europe's largest cemetery, has repeatedly appealed to leaders and policymakers to protect the lives and dignity of our brothers and sisters on the move. He is scheduled to travel to the French port city of Marseille on the 22nd and 23rd of September as part of an initiative to foster dialogue between Mediterranean political and religious leaders of different faiths and address the region's shared problems posed by increasing migration patterns, economic inequality, climate issues, interreligious dialogue. I'm Linda Bodoni. The Supreme Court is blocking the Purdue Pharma drug company from moving forward with a $6 billion bankruptcy deal. Yesterday's decision comes after the Biden administration raised objections about the settlement that would have shielded the Sackler family from future lawsuits related to the opioid crisis. A spokesperson for Purdue Pharma said the company is confident in the legality of its plan and optimistic the Supreme Court will agree. The high court is set to hear oral arguments in December. 
The U.S. bishops are calling on global leaders to focus on the common good and allow for food supply to flow to those in need. The U.S. bishops released a statement this week specifically citing the dire consequences of Russia withdrawing from the Black Sea Grain Initiative and their bombing of Ukraine's grain storage facilities. The statement from Bishop David Malloy quotes Pope Francis, who said, quote, I make a heartfelt appeal that every effort be made to resolve this issue and to guarantee the universal human right to food. Please do not use wheat, a staple food, he said, as a weapon of war. Meanwhile, President Biden is calling on Congress for $24 billion for Ukraine. Brian Shook has more. I actually can't seem to find that story. Never mind. Meanwhile, the Justice Department is proposing a January start date for the trial in former President Trump's election interference case. In a court brief filed yesterday, special counsel Jack Smith proposed the trial to begin on January 2nd. Prosecutors also estimated the trial would take four to six weeks. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Why do we pray before the crucifix and the images and relics of the saints? We pray before the crucifix and the images and relics of the saints because they enliven our devotion by exciting pious affections and desires and by reminding us of Christ and of the saints that we may imitate their virtues. I know of a fellow who wanted to lose some weight, and so he cut out a picture of a man who was very fit, and he put that image right next to his mirror in his bathroom. Every morning, he'd wake up and he'd look at that picture of the fit man and say to himself, I want to be like that. And so, people very often do this. As a Dominican, I put up an image of St. Dominic. And so, when I see what St. Dominic did and I think about his life, well, I get inspired and I want to be just like him. And so, these things, when understood properly, don't take us away from the true faith, but rather help us to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Thirty-seven minutes past the hour. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bobby Schindler from the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, and he helps us stay vigilant on questions related to the medically vulnerable. Bobby, good morning. Good morning, Matt. I want to talk about this question of uh, the California assisted suicide law and what disability advocacy groups 
are suing about. If you could, I mean, this can be a little bit sort of head spinning whenever you get into the legalese of this, but I wonder if you could maybe hand us a summary of what is going on in California. Yes, right. It's, it's, it's encouraging news. It was filed a few weeks ago, Matt, and the disability rights groups, I mean, they're, they're in large part responsible for really pushing back the, the assisted suicide movement. Um, they have a very strong and powerful voice, and they're a strong lobby to try and stop these uh, laws from passing. And what happened in California in 2016, the original law was, was passed. It was called the End of Life Option Act uh, in California that allowed terminally ill adults to you know, obtain life lethal meds to kill themselves, just a suicide. Uh, so last year they uh, they brought in, they removed some of the safeguards to make it easier, expanding uh, the options for people to kill themselves by assisted suicide. Well, the disability group saw this, and they saw this as an opportunity to go in and file a lawsuit, and they're asking to overturn the entire law, asking the the courts to, to uh, declare unlawful, unlawful and unconstitutional, saying that these recent changes, these expansions that make it easier um, for people with terminal, Ill, Ill, uh, terminal diseases violate the U.S. Constitution and the Americans with Disabilities Act, failing to provide equal protection under the law as outlined in the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. So they're going in and they're asking to overturn the entire law, Matt, based on this expansion of the original law passed in California to allow us to be suicide. So it is encouraging. I'm not sure the timeline when the courts will hear this. But I tell you, if they're successful and they overturn this, this could be a, a really encouraging, who knows, for other states. And maybe there's an opportunity to go in and look at these other state laws and see if there's something similar that can be done to attack these laws in other states where this is suicide is currently legal. Well, it is an interesting case, uh... To, to look at for a number of reasons, uh, but one of them is the message that it sends. So let's say you're one of these disability advocacy groups and you were to be on the other side of things. So, so let's say, um, you know, for instance, the United Spinal Association is one of the people who's uh, in, the, in the lawsuit. Let's say that if you were in that group and you were advocating for assisted suicide, then you're telling all people with spine injuries, you know what, we're going to advocate for you, but it'd be better off if you just went ahead and did this, right? I mean, they think of the message that you'd be sending to all people with spinal conditions, right? That you'd be better off dead than living with this. Right, and, that, and that's kind of their argument, Matt. They're saying these life-ending drugs is more likely to be used, and I'm reading from the article, it said that it's more likely to be used by people with disability and, and racial and ethnic minorities because those groups are less likely to receive proper medical and mental health care. Uh, they, they fear that vulnerable people, these vulnerable people could be pressured into taking their lives by family members or caretakers or feel pressured themselves because they do not want to be a quote-unquote burden. So you're right, Matt. I mean, this is the intent. Uh, they, but, you know, the, this is the assisted suicide lobby. It, it, it really is a sense. Um, uh, another form of healthcare rationing, cost containment. It's much easier to, to uh, uh, persuade these people to kill themselves rather than to treat them for whatever condition they might have. Well, and this is something that you've dealt with from the very beginning of your organization. The the trying to get the message out that what really happens, it all gets pitched as 
you should be able to make your own decisions about the end of your life if it comes to that. But what actually happens is other people essentially using those policies and laws and procedures to make someone else make a decision or to make a decision for somebody else. At the end of the day, it's usually it ends up being not the person who makes the decision for themselves. Well, yeah, Matt, I mean, that's, that's the intent. It's, it's, to, it's to take the decision-making power and put it in the hands of other people. And we talk about this all the time. That's why so, family, so many families call us uh, desperate for help, because the medical professionals, the insurance companies, the administrators, the ethics committees, they're all the ones making decisions. You know, it's interesting. It seems like the, <laughs> the only time that the hospital or these insurance companies will agree with you is you want to kill somebody or end their life quickly. But if you want to preserve their life or, or if you're asking for life-affirming treatment and they think your situation is futile, I mean, they'll fight tooth and nail to, to stop that from happening and, and, you know, allow the person, quote-unquote, to die with dignity, so to speak. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's happening from, from, I mean, obviously we're fighting many different battles on this issue. It's the culture of death, man. I mean, you're dealing with it with abortion, assisted suicide, uh, health care rationing. It just comes in many forms, but, but it all comes down to people losing their rights in, in these cases to make their own medical decisions or being convinced that they're being burdens to others and, and, and the best, it would be in their best interest to end their lives. Well, the article you sent me came from the Baptist Press, and you know there's been you know some interesting ways in which uh, Catholics have sort of stood alone on certain issues related to the culture of life, but where evangelicals have kind of come along on uh on a lot of questions, especially on uh, questions of, of abortion. This used to be something that evangelicals were not on. They, they were part of like one of the waves that joined us in the fight in the post-Roe v. Wade era. And euthanasia is something, I think, that can get an even broader coalition of people behind it if people understand the stakes of it, uh, not just Catholics and Protestants, but there are probably plenty of people who are in the disability advocacy world of any faith or no faith at all who could see where this is going and realize the damage that it can do uh, to what they're trying to accomplish in their work, regardless of their faith background. If you're a disability advocacy group and you see where this is headed and what's going on, I mean, I, you don't hardly even need to have faith as part of the conversation to understand why it's bad to advance these assisted suicide laws. Well, you're, you're right, Matt, and, and we work very closely back with my sister's case with the disability rights community, and they, they do not always align with the pro-life position, and we, we were aware of that when, with Terry's uh, situation, but they were, they were on board uh, doing what they could to, to help our family stop this from, you know, stop Terry's uh, death from occurring. In fact, Matt, do, do you know something? Do you know how many disability, local and national disability groups were publicly speaking out, defending Terry's life? Take, take a guess how many groups there were. I mean, I would have no way of even knowing where to begin on that. Well, that's because the media wasn't reporting it, Matt. They, they wanted to frame this as an extremist pro-life coalition Religious that thing. were helping my yeah. Right, exactly. That's why I want to paint my, you know, our family as extremists. There was, four, I, I believe there was 40 or close to 40 local and disability groups that were publicly advocating for Terry's life. And, and you would, you would, it would be very difficult to find any of the media reporting that because they did not want to recognize Terry as a person with a disability. As I said, they were much rather wanted to paint this as, as a political, religious, extremist type of situation. But 
But the disability rights groups are very concerned about these issues, and they're very concerned about just what we're talking about, about um, passing laws that really target people with disabilities to allow them to, to take decision-making process out of their hands or make them feel like they're burdens and, and they would choose death rather than being taken care of. Well, I think you make some important points well worthy of reflection as we try and move forward on, on this and all issues related to the culture of life. Um, you know, we obviously are informed by our faith on these questions, but to build that broader coalition, it's important to help people see that this isn't merely a religious, privately held belief we're trying to force on people. This is this is humanity and society we're, we're talking about, and there are a whole lot of people who don't share our faith who understand the weight of these issues and uh, elevating some of those voices to help people understand the bigness of these questions. Uh, I, I pray that helps us gain some ground on them. So, uh, Bobby Schindler, if our listeners want to connect with you and find out more about your work and some of the things you're trying to point to in your defense of the medically vulnerable, how do they get in touch? Sure. Thank you, Matt. It's lifeandhope.com, lifeandhope.com. Linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks, Bobby. Have a great day. Thank you, Matt. God bless you. All right, we preview the Sunday Mass readings with Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston next. It is 13 till. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And all the people who are working so hard to get us on radio, you know, that's wonderful. And even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles, you help spread the word. And we do all the programming for you. Programming is expensive stuff, you know, so you don't have to worry about programming. And so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. How do you feel about self-driving cars? You can tell us your story today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, and it's always great to catch up with Father Jonathan Duncan from the Diocese of Charleston. And uh, 
we look ahead each week around this time to the Mass readings that we'll hear on Sunday. Father Duncan, good morning. Good to be with you, Matt. There's a lot to dig into uh, when it comes to the the readings on Sunday. Uh, The first reading from 1 Kings about Elijah uh, and trying to hear the voice of God, that is one of those just perennial metaphors for the Christian life of prayer. Uh, You've got a passage from Romans where Paul is, uh, you know, talking uh, pretty strongly about his conscience compelling him to bear witness. And then we get Jesus walking on water. I mean, you've got some colorful readings to deal with this Sunday. Uh, Have you picked what you're going to talk about? You know, I'm still narrowing it down, but you're right. You know, there's so many different facets. I think starting with the Lord Jesus and letting that be kind of the lens through which <clears throat> through which we see everything. You know, we begin with this walking, um, this walking on water. And I think we're, we're familiar with the passage. Um, we're familiar with um, you know Peter and, and and the story. But I think it's it's so powerful um, the the example of Peter as one who seeks after the Lord Jesus, as one who desires to, to come out to him, to, to be drawn closer to him. And yet, in the moment, with fear, with trepidation, as he notices all of uh, all of the water, you know, the scriptures say that he, he, he began to took note, take, take note of all of the storms and everything, that it's then that he, he loses sight. But I think what's really important about that scene is that, you know, I think we tend to romanticize the sea, and I think it's helpful for us to remember that for, uh, for especially for Mediterranean ancient cultures, the sea and the waters in the sea was really a place of, of darkness and of churning and of chaos. It was a place of, of strange creatures that didn't look like normal creatures that you saw, you know, on the land. And it was a place that, that people feared. And so in this story, for the Lord Jesus to have mastery over that is, again, one more revelation of this is not just a teacher, but this is someone who has control, who has dominion, who peacefully walks across the churning, dark waves, and he does it as easily as he walks across the sand, because he has dominion over all of the frightening bits of our life, all of the frightening bits to us of creation, it's nothing to him. I'm reminded of at the book of Revelation at the very end, um, you know, around the throne, there is, and, and Revelation describes it as sea, but he says it's like a sea of glass because the sea is so clear. In other words, to God, this churning, dark, frightening, dangerous thing to us, and certainly to first century fishermen. Is, is really nothing more than, than a glass floor. Mm. And so I think beginning from that place of he is the master over all creation, and then Peter, 
crying out to him. Notice how many times he says, Lord, Lord, crying out from the water, Lord, you know, if you will, let me come to you. Um, so I think there's, there's so much in the Gospel reading. And then, of course, I think in Romans, Paul is lamenting. He's lamenting what would seem to be the fate of his people, his people who are rejecting the Gospel, the Jewish people. And, you know, I think that's, that's helpful for us, too, as we pray for and mourn over those around us, maybe family members, maybe friends, who've rejected the gospel. Paul is able to really, you know, sometimes we can be a little cocky, and I think Paul is able to give us an example of, Paul is saying, I would, if I could be cut off from Christ, and all of these people, my kinsmen according to the flesh, brought in, I would do it. And we have to ask, like, are we that passionate about the evangelization of our friends and family. That's a tough question, right? And Paul, of course, using hyperbole to drive home the point. Uh, but you know, sure. I, I'm, I'm reflecting back to your your comments about you know Jesus is Lord of of the sea. One of the scariest things that these fishermen can think of, right? One of the most mysterious things. Uh, you know, I reflect back to last weekend's feast of the Transfiguration. I mean, what do the people who in first century Palestine rolling around? What do they know the least about? what's up above the clouds and what's underneath the sea, right? Absolutely. And Jesus kind of gives a window into what's up above the clouds with the transfiguration, and uh, he's Lord and Master over the sea uh, in this reading where he walks on the water. But all this kind of really uh, you know, adds an added, it's an extra layer of mystery to that first reading from Kings where Elijah is trying to communicate with the Lord, and all these extraordinary natural uh, events that are so beyond human control and understanding happen, right? The the wind, the earthquake, the great fire. And yet beyond all that is God. God is master and Lord of all those things. He's not contained by any of those things. Uh, he is something utterly other. I mean, it, he is supernatural. He is above all these natural things uh, that Elijah and Peter are wrestling with in these readings. Absolutely. And and what we see in that Old Testament lesson that kind of points forward to the gospel is that those are all, in a sense, metaphors of, of, of the grandeur and glory and power of God. But ultimately, I think N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, said it best when he said, in Christ, the hurricane has become human. The fire has become flesh. All of, the, all of that terrifying glory has become whisperable, has become approachable and touchable in the person of Jesus Christ, and that's the good news of the gospel. Man, we got to get N.T. right in the church, man. we got to get him in there. Father Jonathan Duncan, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend. That wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show on a Friday. We'll be back again on Monday. Actually, we won't. We'll be the best of the Sunrise Morning Show all next week. But until then... May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.